With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying, kick it my way, I want to jump over the pack, and here he comes! Ryan! Miles plays on, and misses. Libba, 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 Libba! Oh, who else? McDonald, Tim From inside the centre square, boys kick the goal! Good morning, afternoon, evening, whatever time of day it may be. Welcome to another episode of Americans Watching the Footy. This is, unless something comes up and we have to do an emergency episode, episode number three. I'm Ethan Castle, joined by my co-host from about 20 miles away. Hi, this is Benjamin, and I'm excited to get to this 2022 Home and Away preview. The Amy Community Series has come and gone and left some more talking points and a laundry list of injuries in its wake. And we'll get to all that and more as we go through the 18 clubs and what their prospects are this upcoming campaign. All right. Well, considering how much material we've got to dive into, probably not the best time to make small talk. So we might as well just dive right into this thing. Other episodes, we might do more small talk. But for today, just for the sake of time and being direct, let's get right into it. Yeah, so the way this is going to work is to keep us on our toes and to keep things perhaps a bit more entertaining for you listeners, we're going to randomize things. Whoever's going to come up first to this randomizer, we'll talk about them first, then take them out from the next one and just keep randomizing each time. Plus, this is a good idea for retention. You know, if you're a fan of a certain club, you can't predict when they're going to come up because we're not going in alphabetical order or the order of last year's standings. It's just kind of... Luck of the draw. So hopefully this will do something to retain more listeners, you know, or at least make it look, you know, on the analytics, like we get people to listen for the full episode. You know, it's all about the numbers. It is all about the numbers in the end. That's where the money may eventually come from. We'll see. All right. Hitting random. Spinning the wheel. Everybody claps. Oh, boy. We are starting with the team with the worst club song. The team that I love to, I guess, bash because there's really not much else to do right now, the West Coast Eagles. All right. Well, since you are the resident Eagles fan, get us started. Well, there's a laundry list of injuries that came from training. I am pulling up the injury report again just to see how many are listed right now. Alan, Clark, Cole, Jamie Cripps, Duggan, SPS, Ryan, Sheed, Shuey, Witherden, Yo, uh, Jack Darling, as of, you know, a day before we filmed this, actually recovered from his brain injury. So he'll be back training. We'll see if he is ready to go round one. That would be sight for sore eyes. 
biggest fallout from the injury bug, Dom Sheed and Elliot Yo are both TBA on their returns from ankle injuries. Jamie Cripps is missing the early rounds with a torn pec. A bunch of smaller injuries as well. Oscar Allen is expected to return in the early rounds. Luke Shuby is a test for round one. But more than anything, the impression is that this team has come and gone even before the season starts. Um, Nick Nanui went out and said a couple of days ago, write us off. And I'm with him on that. I mean, last season started all right. And boy, did it not end. I were going southward for a while. And it was all but confirmed by, what was it? I think early third quarter of the Western Derby when Caleb Sarong kicked his goal of the year. There is some... Intrigue. Willie Rioli is returning after a two-year ban for tampering with the drug test, and I imagine that he'll be pushed into a decent degree of service right away because it's needed. And then also, they have a draftee named Red Bazo, or Bazo, I don't know, but they'll probably say Bazo. That is his full name. They don't even have to shorten it or anything to get a nickname. Red Bazo. I mean, they still might just call him Baza instead, but... Looking through the mock team that was posted a few days ago by the AFL, they do have Rioli starting along with Liam Ryan and Josh Kennedy. That's a pretty good forward line, actually. But Yeah, not bad at all. Potential for for some high marks as well. The issues, though, again, the injuries. And other than that, you're going to need some guys to step up. You know, someone like Jack Redden or Andrew Gaff is really going to need to take the next step in order to carry this team they're going to need some guys to go from good supplemental players to really step up their roles pretty significantly in order to have a lot of success this year i do think you can never count them out because they're going to have a strong midfield game they're going to have nat Nui roaming all over they're going to win a lot of rock battles and maybe that could create some quick goals but i don't know if that's going to really be their brand they're going to have to adjust their style of play clearly if they're going to really try to take a shot of this thing and it could be pretty high risk high reward they obviously also have the great advantage of making everyone take such a long trip to come face them other than when they're playing the western derby and facing a pretty enthusiastic crowd just about every time so long as mark mcgowan's not being a dickhead which he currently is what a surprise yeah it's currently half crowd um i mean even a half crowd there is still Pretty impressive, but yeah, I mean, I remember being impressed by the volume of the I think it was the yeah, I think the first elimination final in 2020, that one pointer to Collingwood. Oh, yeah, that was a classic game. That's if you want to show someone like a really recent game to get them into the sport, that's definitely up towards the top of the list. But um, honestly, maybe the bet one of the best games other than, well, the 2018 grand final that went the other way. Yeah, it's always fun when those two match up. Um, Speaking of matchups, I know we were going to focus on who do they play twice and any sort of interesting stretches on the schedule if they've got any, you know, lengthy homestands or road trips, barring Mark McGowan being a dickhead. So let's see, you know, what what fixtures do they have? Let's peruse this. They double up. uh, Eagles double up with, obviously, their... Perth Bows and Fremantle. Then also the Crows, the Cats, the Suns, and the Tigers. So not terrible, but also I'd say like, I don't know, 3.6 Runkin? 3.6. Not great, not terrible. There's definitely potential for a couple double-up sweeps. Even with some of the intrigue from the, the Crows and the Suns, I, I feel encouraged about those. As for home, not much of anything. Uh, only time they even have two straight 
home matches is rounds 14 and 15. That's Geelong and Essendon, respectively. And they've got the bye in round 13 before that. Now, they also, you know, technically they have the away match in round 22, but it is the Western Derby with Frio. And they're at home the round before against Adelaide. So that's, you know, they don't have to travel for back-to-back weeks there, but it's a pretty healthy mix of, you know, one week home, one week traveling for just about the entirety of the season. Um, That stretch, though, you know, if they can play well in that stretch around their bye, you know, going Bulldogs at home at Adelaide and then coming out of the bye at home against the Cats and Bombers, I think that's where they could make their push if they're going to somehow get their way back into the eight. Not to mention going to Richmond right after that. And Richmond is a very intriguing side to cover at some point as well. Those two matches with Richmond could be pretty important in deciding, you know, who of the kind of old guard is going to rally to get back into the eight. You know, those two matches, those are some points that are going to be really valuable. For sure. A couple of figures that I am really interested to see how they fare. Jack Petrocelli, he's someone that's on notice, but he's a damn good runner when he needs to be. And then I'm also going to see Jake Waterman take another step. Going by the mock team that was posted just yesterday, they'd be starting together at half forward. And I think that's where Petrocelli, with his speed, you could get some quick goals if you have Nat Nui win a rock battle, get Petrocelli up ahead, get a sprint going, and try to create an odd man rush there. Certainly. All right. One down, 17 to go. It's a bit of a daunting task when it's all there, but slowly we're taking the teams out one by one. And next up, as I randomize again, all right, we're hitting the flag early. The Melbourne side that is really very complete still from winning the flag last year. A couple retirements, but they return the core of their list and it's a younger core. Yeah, I mean, this is a pretty loaded roster from top to bottom. Obviously, they kind of reflect how midfield heavy the game is right now when you've got Max gone in there and then, you know, multiple guys who were receiving serious brown low votes, Clayton Oliver in there. You know, they are... Christian Petraka, of course, Norm Smith medalist. I honestly wonder if the fact that they're both there will limit them from ever winning the brown low. To have James Harms listed as a potential interchange is some tremendous depth. You know, that's a guy who would be obviously a starter on just about any club. Absolutely. And then as if it wasn't enough to have one of the best rucks at overall utility guys, even at his height in Max Gone, you had rising star Luke Jackson to compliment that. And he's going to probably figure into things even more this season. I didn't even write down anything about Kazi Pickett, but Kazi is Kazi and he's going to dazzle at times. We just have to see if his judgment is right most of the time. He's gotten better and better. You know, he would have been a guy who would have mentioned, but he's kind of rose enough that he'd be out of that rising star category. You know, I was really impressed with Bailey Fritch last season of just about every turn. When he's healthy and actually getting reps, Ben Brown's pretty good. And I think their defense is very, very underrated. Both Stephen May and Jake Lever, you know. Um, Lever's mustache is obviously one of the best in the competition. I don't think there's any debating that, but he's also just a fundamentally really solid defender. And, you know, the one thing about them, they weren't exactly a sexy, exciting team to watch at most times. They were just thorough. 
other than that third quarter run of the grand final, no, they were not flashy. But if you can win when you're boring, win when you're boring. It's the sort of team that the newcomer may not appreciate as much as a more experienced fan. You know, there are things that I certainly don't notice to the naked eye that when I go and listen to podcasts or read articles from people that are much more experienced with the sport, I really start to appreciate. But I mean, you can obviously tell Matt's gone is everywhere. That's kind of obvious. And for someone his size and skill and speed combination and the stamina he has, you know, he's clearly one of the best players in the entire competition. And when you have the combination of him, Petraka, Oliver, it's pretty daunting. They're pretty difficult to stop. That said, you know, curious to see in a post-flag year how they kind of manage guys, you know, which games they choose to manage some of their older players, some of their stars. So this is still a younger roster. Curious to see if there's any of that hangover or more than anything, if they're, you know, maybe less preoccupied with winning the minor premiership again and more focused on putting themselves in position, assuming they're in good shape. Curious to see how they manage all that, you know, kind of like what they call in the NBA load management. Same type of deal here. Oh, God, I hate that term. I hate that term, but it's a a very valid point to bring up. You know, what's what's the priority? Is it the minor? Is it the top two? Is it the top four? It's going to be interesting to see, and I'm very glad that you mentioned Stephen May. Our first year watching, he is not someone that really popped out to me, and I mean, it didn't that the D's were not in the finals to really, you know, solidify some of the names that the casual fan might not notice. But he is definitely a huge role player, kind of their captain in the back half. And he is someone that I really started to value in my watching. All right. Um, as for the fixtures, there are a couple that obviously have our attention. First off, who are they playing twice? Their doubles are more daunting for sure than the Eagles. They got two against the Lions, the Pies, the Dockers, the Power and the Dogs. And the dogs, of course, are their matchup in the grand final rematch round one. I'm not a huge fan of having a grand final rematch round one, but I kind of like it. And unlike last year in the regular season or the home and away season, there will actually be people there to enjoy. Because, you know, it was a couple times they kind of had the rug pulled out from under them where, you know, you get it all hyped up. It's this great matchup. And then last minute restrictions come in place that hopefully won't ever be an issue again because they deserve to be able to play in front of a full crowd and it'll be a full Victorian crowd instead of you know going out to the other end of the country. It'll be nice to see the home fans for both, you know, playing once at the G, once at Marvel. The other one that really stands out to me and to you as well as we've discussed is the round 18 fixture with Port Adelaide in Alice Springs. You know, I love the concept of country footy. I love bringing the game back to its roots, really making it a national game instead of just something in the major cities, especially we consider how spread out Australian population centers are. And not only to have a match out there, but to have a match featuring two of the top four from last season. In fact, I think the top two from last season. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. And I'm sure the folks out there will really appreciate it. That should be a lot of fun. It should be. And I'm honestly interested to see, you know, what the market situation is going to be like for that game. I would bet that there are some that's there are some D's fans that are very willing to make the trip, you know, all the way from Victoria to the Red Center for that at the right price. And maybe even likewise for Port, even with the home field advantage they have at Adelaide Oval. Other than that, the... 
travel schedule isn't too bad. Not like they have any crazy back-to-back weeks on the road. You know, you know, technically they have back-to-back away matches, but they'll be within Victoria usually. They do have Geelong on the road at the Cattery. So they do have a stretch, a five-week stretch actually, without playing at the G, which is pretty rare for them going from round 16 through 20, where they go Crows away, Cats away, then that Alice Springs match we mentioned. Then they play the Bulldogs at Marvel, and then they go out west for a second Western trip to play Frio for the second time. So those two Western trips could end up being pretty draining. And then also in the latter half of the season, after the bye, they have the lines right away, and then they end with them too at the Gabba. That could be, you know, you look at all these matchups and obviously we don't know this far out who's going to hold up, which teams are going to get killed by injuries, who's going to surprise both positively and negatively. But those are some pretty juicy matchups in pretty exciting spots, you know, to open the season with a grand final rematch to close against the Lions. I think that's pretty compelling. Yeah. Lions getting another round 23 home game. We saw what happened last year. And then one last note, I forgot to mention, I think Steven may have some tightness and we're not sure when exactly he's going to be back. I don't think he's expected for the first round. Not sure exactly how long term that is either. Some others on the men that are expected for round one that have just been managed throughout training. You know, again, one last touch on that May thing. You know, if he doesn't play, you can shift guys around again. That means more opportunities for someone like Luke Jackson or James Harms. So they have the depth to handle it as much as you don't want to miss a guy as talented as May. As talented in the defensive half on a team where the focus is really the other half. Yeah, but they have guys like Gone that can really cover every inch of the ground. So I think they'll be well equipped for it. All right, on to number three then, if we don't have anything further to tidy up there. I'm ready to move on. Let's go. Well, speaking of that round 18 fixture at TIO Traker Park, we are hitting some big teams early because Port just came up. All right. Port Adelaide, you know, they've obviously still been pretty low in the last couple of years. They were really the first team when we were watching that 2020 season that really stood out to both of us as, holy crap, these guys are really good. But during that 2020 season, you know, there were times when They were mostly beating up on weaker opponents and then struggling some with stronger teams. And we saw some of that again this past year, but they're going to be another pretty interesting season to follow, you know, being in the mix, see if they can finally actually break through that glass ceiling and get back to a grand final and win one. Now they do have some injury concerns. Kane Farrell is not playing this year. He's done his knee. Waiting word on what the timetable is for Orazio Fantasia with his knee. Charlie Dixon has a slight ankle issue. Robbie Gray on the hamstring. Looks like they're both tests for round one. I don't think Ford they Adelaide. played the community series. I watched some of their community series match, which was against, I can't even remember. It was just a few days ago. You saw a lot of Jeremy Finlayson, a lot of Mitch Georgiatis. This is still another super loaded team. Another team with a lot of age range, too. But, uh, Georgiatis, uh, Connor Rosie. I think we saw that he added some more muscle, something definitely necessary. Uh, oh, it was just against Adelaide, right? It was just against Frozen. It was over at the Richmond Oval out in the western suburbs of Adelaide. So it was nice, you know, to 
get a little bit further out from you know playing as the usual ground. But anyway, and that's a priority that they often have for the community series. Um, just to to kind of have that sort of country footy environment. They had it for some of those scratch matches as well. But Port reminds me just as an American sports fan and as a San Jose Sharks fan in terms of hockey, they remind me of those late 2000s Sharks and the colors definitely help with that. They are more than fine in the regular season, but they can't get it done when it matters. They have a strong midfield, of course. Uh, I mean, you got Ollie Watts coming off the brown low. Gray and Boat are both solid, but they're also both 33 years old. And gotta wonder at some point, when are they going to give way? You know, if they could handle them like the Caps have handled guys like Selwood, you know, managing them, giving them a couple of strategic rounds off, that'll definitely work to their advantage. I think that's something for all my criticisms of Caps management and of Chris Scott's tactics. That's one thing that I think they've done really well. And I think just about everyone has Port Adelaide as a lock for playing finals footy again. It's just a question of where in the eight do they finish? I see them somewhere in the middle of that eight. Not the top two, not the bottom one. They're definitely in play for a double chance. And we'll have to see if their home and away results keep up. I think they've only lost eight in the past couple of years, home and away. We'll see what happens when it actually matters, though. One thing I All right. that stood out to me from them last year was how amazing Alir Alir was. He was such a great pickup on a team that. Oh, yeah. I forgot about how he was. Defensively, I mean. Darcy Burton Jones is solid. Lockie Jones not only has some of the best hair in, comp- in the competition, but is a pretty solid defender. But O'Lear O'Lear was racking up the intercept marks like it was nothing. He had a terrific season, and it was just a matter of time for him. And I'm glad he found a club that fit him because it's a lot of fun to watch him unless he's going up against your team. I'm glad he got his jacket. Finally got that Australian jacket. Thought it would be coming maybe with a couple of the seasons that he had at Sydney looking back, but... Something just finally clicked at Port, and it just shocks me still that they let him get away from Sydney. It, I mean, he fit in so naturally that it made me forget that he was a first-year guy there. It was one of the easier fits, for sure. It's the sort of guy that I think a lot of teams are thinking, man, we really should have made a stronger push for him. Another note, another note is that uh, Ruck's situation should be interesting. Uh, I mean, obviously, Scott Lysette's still there, but Pete Laddams is in Sydney now. So things get a little bit thinner there. Curious to see how they utilize him. Curious to see what they do with Travis Boak this year. You know, they only have two guys on the roster actually listed as Ruckman, if you look on the website, just Lysette and uh, Sam Hayes, who, if you look at the mock teams, he's listed as a potential interchange. So he would probably be your secondary option there. But curious to see who else can step up in that physical role when needed. As for the Powers double-ups, obviously. Two showdowns, and then Essendon, Geelong, Melbourne, and Richmond. So it's not an easy schedule by any means, and that's another reason why I had some concerns about maybe saying that they're in for a double chance. You know, you've got a couple of teams that made the finals last year and a couple of teams that would be easy picks to make it back to the finals, like Richmond. So pretty interesting schedule there. They've got showdown in round three. And then they've got the second one, the one they host, final round of the regular season, round 23, which is a little bit peculiar. Um, Other than that, just scrolling through, they have a few games 
outside of traditional settings, they go up to Cairns to play St. Kilda in round seven. And then just a couple rounds later, they go to Tasmania to face North Melbourne. That's round nine. And then, of course, round 18 in Alice Springs. The hottest ticket in the league, probably in more ways than one. All right. On to number four, then. You've got the list ready to go. Fire away. I'll scramble to pull up all of the associated pages as we get into this. Number four. Sakilda, a team that I have a hard time reading coming into this campaign. Ethan? I don't have particularly high expectations for them. I could be way off, but between injuries and just how dysfunctional they were last year, you know, the Nick Cofield injury doesn't help. I think they're in a spot where they need a lot of things to click, a lot of the sort of fulcrums, I guess, or I'm not sure if that's the exact term you want to use, but kind of all the flashpoints already seem to be trending the wrong way. So that definitely doesn't work in their favor. You mentioned Caulfield. He's done his ACL. Zach Jones is on personal leave as well. This is the other big out for now. Uh, Fixture, I mean, it's not an easy fixture you got. I mean, no fixture schedule in this league is, considering everybody plays everyone at least once, but their double-ups are Brisbane, Fremantle, Geelong, Hawthorne, and Sydney. Yeah, so you got just two final teams from last year then? Or no, three. Three. Okay. Three and one that made a late charge for, for the fourth. Okay, so that actually isn't ideal from their standpoint, but... Sydney's another tough one to read. We'll get into them. Yeah, but as as for the Saints, what else on their roster kind of sticks out to you? What are you looking for out of them this season? I'm looking for Max King to find his form sooner, for one. He's the only King that we're going to be watching this year. So, really, just a lot of disappointments last year. Billings disappointed. Butler disappointed. Brad Hill disappointed. Ben Long disappointed. Jack Steele is Jack Steele, and Higgins can step up, of course. Josh Battle can step up, but I'm not sure how much they'll be able to do themselves. Looks like, as of now, the expectation would be for Patty Ryder to possibly miss round one. He's got an Achilles issue. Puts even more strain on Rowan Marshall, and I think, really, they're kind of make or break there in the ruck. He didn't play in any of the preseason matches, looks like. Obviously, Jack Steele's a pretty quality player. I like Sam Ross. But this is a team that I only see a few players that are really major game changers where they're going to need a few guys to really evolve and step up in order to have a successful season. And I just don't see it. I'm sure that within their club, within their front office, they have a recipe, but it's one that obviously isn't very easy to identify. Whereas with some teams, it's like, here's the clear path they're taking. I'm just not sure if they have that path carved out. Another name to mention, we're not, I mean, we definitely are lacking in knowledge when it comes to defenders, but Jackson Clare also a vital figure there. The big question that I have is Brett Ratton, second hottest seat in the competition? Behind Stuart Dew. Hmm, very close. That's definitely something worth considering. Um, they did have that finals appearance just a couple of years ago. It's a question of you know, how long... This is the luster of that work. I mean, he's only been there. You know, this is just going to be his fourth year. So 
I don't know if the seat's going to be that hot, especially when you consider the history and expectations there. And this is only his third full season because he came in midway through the 2019 campaign when Alan Richardson resigned. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. There is, the way I see it, a pretty big drop off from the hottest to the second hottest scene. I mean, look at who had coaching changes last year. I mean, it was very clear that Stewart too had the second hottest shortly behind David Teague, even though Zhu was pretty new. Not nearly as clear this campaign. So it's going to be interesting to see how coaching decisions end up shaping out across the league. As for the fiction, if we look through it here, you already mentioned who they're doubling up with. A couple interesting things. You know, they play one of the Canberra matches against GWS, and then right after that, hosts Port Adelaide up in Cairns. Nothing screams out as kind of really swinging their way in terms of fixtures. Back-to-back tilts with the Bulldogs, and then a trip out to Perth to take on the Eagles is definitely not friendly. Yeah. Back with the Cats and Lions and then the Swans to follow that up to round out the yeah. season isn't ideal, even if all three of those are within Victoria, one at Cardinia Park and then the last two at Marvel. The stretch from rounds six through nine is especially brutal. You know, you got Giants away, poured up in Cairns, Demons away. Conditions there could be um, ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how Cairns would be in late April, but usually count on it being wet in some capacity or another. So, yeah, Giants in the capital, then in Cairns for Port, then Melbourne at home, then Geelong is... First meeting with Geelong is at Marvel. The rematch in round 21 is at Cardinia. Yeah, I mean, Geelong's got, I think, nine of their 11 home matches at Cardinia. We'll, we'll mention that again when they come up in this randomizer. Yeah, I would be unsurprised if the Saints were in the bottom third of the ladder. But we've seen, as they did a couple times last year, they stole a couple of games and they actually looked pretty dominant in doing so. You know, if you look back at their results over the course of the year, beating GWS, beating the Eagles, albeit at home, they also had a couple of really lopsided losses. There was that 40-point shock against Richmond round 15 and then beating the Lions by 32 round 17. I'm and I think that was a way. Yeah, so they found something late, but it was kind of a too little, too late situation. And then, you know, follow up that great win at Brisbane with another losing streak, dropping three in a row. And then, of course, you know, what do you know? Then they beat the Swans at home, or well, in an empty ground, so it doesn't really count, but by 29. And then they beat the Dockers to prove them last round. They're the sort of team that could easily ruin somebody's season. You know, whether you look at a couple last year or end of the year, you might not realize it at the time. But when the season ends, you might look back and say, oh, wow, we missed the finals or we missed the top four spot because we lost to St. Kilda. Nearly happened to the Dockers. Swans got hurt by that. But it's not ideal to be talking about a team. And that's the impression of them. We missed because we lost to them rather than we missed the finals because they just edged us out. All right, on to number five, then. Number five is the Bulldogs. They've come up next, and it's another case where the grand finalists are returning a pretty complete squad. The biggest out, though, Josh Bruce is out until late season, and that's a blemish that is going to be somewhat difficult to overcome. Definitely puts greater stress on Aaron Naughton, and as well, Cody Waitman. 
you know, Waitman definitely impressed when he was actually healthy last year, but I liked what I saw out of them down the stretch. I think there's a lot of optimism surrounding them because of their finals performance to undo their late season collapse, which I think if you had said up until August that they would make the grand final, everyone would have said, yeah, sure. But then for them to fall off so hard only to make it back, I think that obviously it was quite the up and down journey. And then obviously finished on a down note after the Caleb Daniel tackle, everything just inexplicably fell apart. But what do you see when you look at this team? You know, I'm really impressed by some of the depth when you've got Adam Trelore, whose name is misspelled on this AFL page, actually listed as Turlore, Josh Dunkley and Taylor Duray, all as interchange is pretty impressive. And then that this mock team doesn't even include Mitch Wallace, who obviously had a really crappy year last year, but has shown the high level ability before. And Jamara Ugelhagen still waiting to really get to see him. You know, it's a pretty promising squad with pretty solid depth and really no spot on the roster that I look at as, oh, they're really lacking at this position group. Ugelhagen definitely one to watch to see how his progress goes. Has it been the smoothest journey for him yet? Also out until late this year's pick number two, Sam Darcy has a foot issue that is going to keep him out for the majority of the season. It's another case of a team with a very, very complete midfield. To ha- again, to have Trelora's interchange is remarkable. That's what happens when he got guys like Marcus Bonapelli and Jack McRae, who probably was a candidate for the Norm Smith had they managed to pull things out. And even though Josh Bruce is obviously an impact player and obviously he did unspeakable things to North last year, I think that was North. Yeah, they have enough guys to make up for it when you have Tim English roaming the ground when you have Bontempelli doing his thing. I remember last year, I think it was Bontempelli kicked a ridiculous goal in the community series. And you can see just even if there's no guy who, you know, is a candidate to bag 80, 90 goals or anything, they've got more than enough guys who can step up on the offensive end and can really kind of play positionless football in a lot of ways. You know, they can change a lot of guys around through different spots on the ground pretty seamlessly and just kind of slide pieces around so that they have their best 18 out there. Speaking of English, he's someone who definitely moved around a bit. I think this is probably the time where he's finally going to have to step up and really be a first ruck. Yeah, other than that, they've got Stefan Martin in the ruck. They've got Jordan Sweet listed, but haven't really seen much of him. You definitely, you know, you could do worse than Stefan Martin, but I think English is probably your go-to guy there. As for the fixtures, who are they playing twice this year? Bulldogs get... The Cats, the Giants, the Hawks, the D's, and the Swans twice. So you got four finalists from last year. What they do have working their advantage, they don't have to leave Victoria at all until round eight when they go to Port Adelaide. They do host you know, their game out at Ballarat in round six against the Crows. But they've got not a lot of crazy long trips. They go back to Ballarat round 10 against the Suns. Well, you know they're not going to big draw big crowds for it at uh, Marvel, so might as well put that at Ballarat. They've got the round 13 by no other really abnormal locations. Round 23, they, they go to Tasmania to take on the Hawks. They do have back-to-backs in Brisbane and Sydney. Will be definitely a stretch to really judge them going round 16, 17. That's probably about the time where you may see Josh Bruce and and Sam Darcy as well. So those will definitely be potential inflection points toward what they have in store for the finals run that we expect them to be able to get. 
the nice thing is those two are bookended by home matches with the Hawks and Saints. So, you know, you can choose to manage guys for a couple of those, try to kind of plan out strategically and figure out, you know, which games looking at the ladder, do we really, do we really go full throttle against the Hawks and Saints and make sure to grab those four points by the throat? Or do we really look at the games against the Lions and Swans as must wins? And they'll have the advantage of having enough time kind of in anticipation of that to get that figured out. It's a tough stretch there, but they should be able to manage it well. And I'm just interested to see, you know, as an American sports fan, you know, there's a concept definitely in football, American football, more than any other sport of, you know, that championship loss hangover. It's there in other sports as well, but not nearly as much as that Super Bowl hangover. And it's not something that I've seen as much as of yet in AFL, but I'm just kind of wondering, like, what's the history around that? I don't know. And- I don't think... Luke Beveridge is one of the best coaches in the competition, considering the results he's gotten and how they've substantially built up. So I put a lot of trust in him, and I think they're in pretty good shape, even with that grand final loss. But it definitely is something to consider. And I mean, starting off, you know, two of your first three matches are against the Demons and Swans, and then you got the Tigers round four. You know, the record could look ugly early if. They aren't in top shape to start the season. So then, you know, it gets the conversation starting. Is there a hangover? Or they could answer it very emphatically if they just come out and boat race the demons in round one. Again, I'm not a huge fan of having a grand final rematch right away. I think that that it would be best to build up to it a little bit, have it maybe round four or five. But there it is. And it'll be exciting to see. And with that, I think we're ready to move on to team number six. We've Spent more time than I've expected thus far on all the teams, especially the two grand finalists. So let's go forward. Team number six. Well, we've been talking a lot about them, you know, potentially being factors again. Now it's time to talk about Richmond in greater detail. There's this guy called Dusty who apparently has two kidneys again. That certainly doesn't hurt. He's obviously one of the most decorated players in the entire competition. That makes a difference right away. You've got the... Damian Hardwick factor. He's kind of become a legendary figure, but at the same time, they have kind of changed their squad up pretty significantly. You know, they've had some pretty significant departures in Bashar Hooli's retirement, Mappy or Chol leaving in free agency. Speaking of, Chol looked excellent in the community series match when the Suns faced the Cats. As you would know, as Cats Barracker, uh, another retirement in David Asprey and also Callum Coleman Jones was traded to North. But Robbie Tarrant came in from North in free agency. It definitely is still an older group. Trent Cotchin is probably on his last one or two years, and he stepped down from the captaincy. You got Dylan Grimes and Toby Nankervis taking that from him as a duo. So, yeah, definitely a changing squad. Definitely not, you know, 2017 to 2020 Richmond all of a sudden coming back. But there is youth promise. There's Shea Bolton literally and figuratively took a big leap last year. And after struggling in the first half of the season, Daniel Rioli being moved back really helped him. I believe it was Grimes who, yeah, Grimes got hurt and is doubtful for the season opener. It's There's still a chance, but it sounds like he likely missed the opening match against Carlton. Jack Graham also expected to return in the early rounds. The big injury concern is Kane Lambert's hip. 
looking at their roster, you know, I'd really like that forward line of Lynch, Reeve, Open, Castagna, and then nice to see Dion Prestia step into more of a role where he's expected to start. Though, in the interchange list with the current injury situation isn't great outside of Jake Arts. Maybe it's a chance for Ivan Soldo to step up. But obviously, this team's strengths lies in the midfield when you've got Dustin Martin over there in a pretty free-flowing role. Shea Bolton at half forward. Noah Balta, I think, is a quietly underrated player who can make an impact. Another thing that can definitely help the Tigers' cause is a favorable fixture. Their doubles are Carlton, Essendon, Hawthorne, Port, and West Coast. And that's probably the friendliest that we've seen, as hard as that is to believe when you, when you have, uh, you know, Only a youth finals becoming Essendon in there. Looking through the fixtures, are we ready to move into that already? I think it's fair, yeah. I mean, there's not a lot really to talk about in terms of last year's Richmond. We really are looking back to those three flags in four years. And, you know, it's not necessarily ideal, especially when that entire group is two years old. Or, heck, Jack Revolt's 33. Didn't realize he was that old. But looking at their 22 games, what stands out to you? Well, they don't have a single game outside of the traditional venues. You know, it's not like they're going to anything way off in remote territory or anything outside of teams' typical home stadiums. Um, They do have a pretty interesting stretch with Melbourne and then a quick turnaround the following week, flying out to Perth to take on the Eagles. That's, as we've mentioned, and I'm sure I'll mention again and again, never an easy trip. Especially not when they're coming right off of being in Adelaide to play Melbourne as well. So in Adelaide, then playing the Demons back home and then back out to play the Eagles. Not an easy travel schedule at all. Having the buy in between traveling to Sydney and hosting Port Adelaide certainly doesn't hurt. That's pretty fortuitous timing there. Overall, though, it does look like a pretty friendly fixture, although they've got the second game against Port Adelaide, the trip out to the Adelaide Oval, which is always you know super intense atmosphere. That comes a week after hosting the Lions. But I think this is a pretty favorable schedule for them after some of the luck finally caught up to them last year and they didn't catch too many breaks. I would think looking at this seems like schedule wise, they're in a pretty advantageous position entering this year. And I know they're probably a pretty trendy pick to return to the eight and we'll discuss our predictions later. But the schedule certainly is something that helps their cause. For sure. Just kind of looking down at that at that last round, them playing Essendon around 23 could really be something to watch for in terms of just you know, those final spots. Are we ready to go ahead? Go for it. All right. What number is this now? Is this number seven already? Yes. Yeah, it is. Really hit the the back half of the alphabet thus far in terms of the team order. And we are going to jump up to a squad that I just mentioned. We are flying up to meet the Bombers. All right. Essendon, you know, a fast rising team last year, first season under Ben Rutten, which was especially impressive considering the start they got off to. As longtime Bomber supporter and former Major League Baseball player Travis Blackley described it, shitting down their leg against one of the worst teams in the competition. What do you look at when you look at their roster? What do you see as kind of their strengths and weaknesses? Looking on the term of individual players, there are some key departures. Kale Hooker leaves a big hole to be filled in terms of on-field leadership, as well as just his key spot there. It's uh, a chance for Sam Draper to really rise and definitely expect uh, Two Meter Peter to fill some of that as well. And on a personal note for us, it was sad to see the delisting of Irving Mosquito. He played just four matches in 2020, but we loved watching him, and it's sad that injuries took away what could have been a really promising career considering how it began. 
and one of those, you know, being the Dreamtime match, right? It was the you. Yeah, and he looked so good in that, and he seemed like such a fun player to follow, and it's unfortunate that injuries caught up with him. But this is a team where, you know, the starting 18 outside of Draper, Parrish, Stringer, I guess McGrath doesn't look all that impressive. But if you have Dyson Heppel as an interchange, that's not a bad spot to be in. But this is definitely a team that the more I look at them, the more I think they could definitely be in for a sophomore slump. But I love the direction they're trending in overall, even if they were to take a step back this season. I think they've gotten things right after kind of looking directionless for a while. A couple other players to to mention. Jai Caldwell, I think, has uh, the potential to take the team upward. And then in terms of their youth crop, I liked some of what I saw kind of in the midseason with Harrison Jones once he found his legs on debut. Also in terms of absences. Is starting the season on the sideline after his personal leave. Uh, A chance for Devin Smith to really take that mantle for the short term and really prove his worth. And speaking of that short term, that opening is brutal. Yes, it is all in Melbourne, but it's Geelong, then Brisbane, then Melbourne. One thing that does seem to be on their side, it looks like they are going to be able to get Dylan Shiel back in time for that opening against the Cats. Now, to be fair, the Cats have had a lot of really crappy round one performances in recent years, but those first three are pretty harsh, at least for their sake. They don't have to travel out of Victoria until round nine when they go to Sydney. I guess we're just kind of jumping into the uh, fixture here, but real quick, who are their teams that they double up against? Lions, Pies, Power, Tigers, Swans. So Again, not easy. Yeah, three finals teams and a fourth that is a pretty logical pick to return to the finals. There is no crazy sequence on the road that they do go to see the Swans and Power in a three-week stretch with Richmond in between. That's definitely not an easy task, but from a that- standpoint... They've got, you know, sometimes it's a tough two and three stretch. That Perth trip in round 15, follow that up with the Swans at home, and then you got to go to the Gavin the very next week to take on the Lions. They are another team like Richmond, no games outside of the traditional venues. Not like they're going to even Ballarat, Canberra, any of those. So they'll be just at the same old stadiums as usual. So if you're a Bombers fan from way out, you're going to have to go to one of the main stadiums in order to see them. Speaking of that uh, three-round stretch there, looks like we'll actually have Dreamtime back at the G again, and that'll be a good atmosphere to have it back there, although there was something really special about the last couple of years having that in Darwin and in Perth, where there's a good amount of Bombers supporters out there in the West. Um, that be round 10, correct? Yeah, round 10. I believe that's the first of the Sir Doug Nichols rounds. And then they've closed the season again with the Tigers. What that? end of the season is pretty tough too you go giants away and then you've got port at marvel and richmond at the g both technically as home matches but yeah this is a schedule the more i look at it the more difficult it looks whereas i think last year they probably caught a few spots where they were pretty fortunate schedule wise i don't think they have the same luck this year we'll see how much actual luck they need considering they were a pretty promising team last year Even with that one in four start, they managed to piece it together and find their way to the finals, even though they got dumped pretty unceremoniously by the dogs. The fact is nobody saw them getting there, even though I think they're probably the most likely pick of the eight to miss this year. 
I think they're still a pretty appealing squad and pretty promising moving forward, even if there is a sophomore slump this year. And they have some rough luck in close games, too. So if that evens out, that's certainly encouraging. Looking at their close affairs last year, that round one, huge swing one way, then huge swing back right in their faces, lost to Hawthorne last year, and then shellacked in Adelaide. Just looking at the three of their first six losses, well, they started two and six. Three of those were by three points or fewer, and then they lost by 11 to the Ds in round 15 and seven to the Swans in round 20. So all it might take is just that little more just will the fixture catch up to them and will inexperience catch up to them? All right. On to number eight, if you're ready, then. We're going to take a step down and kind of look up with these ones. We're talking about North. All right. What is it that stood out to you? Obviously, we were both very impressed with Taryn Thomas. It was very cool to see Goldstein become the hitout king. It was pretty cool moment even if it kind of happened subtly because he got recognized for all of his work i like luke davies uniac and the addition of Jaden stevenson from collingwood looked like a great fit from the start so there's there are pieces just a matter of having those young impact guys that can really join you know they need more than just simpkin and zarkar they need to find more of course i mean their defense is pretty uninspiring if you look at their projected round one roster i think that's the biggest thing that they need to fill and speaking of pieces when it came to stevenson there were pieces of his hip that uh were in disarray he broke that in an all-season bike accident but he is expected in round one and i think it's fair to say he learned his lesson from that speaking of their youth is jason horn francis ready to step up and be the player everybody expects him to be i mean he's got the way that people were talking about Matt Rowell a couple years ago, obviously that didn't pan out, and I don't wish anywhere near the same injuries on Rowell or Horn Francis, but Horn Francis is really going to have to be a driving figure if North are going to be a factor within the next half decade. I'm surprised looking at their defense that they haven't given Bosano Vulagi more chances. I thought he was actually a pretty intriguing player from the few times he's been out there, but he really hasn't gotten called very much. They're a team that's going to be able to score, but they're so thin defensively that they're going to need a bunch of pleasant surprises there in order to really impact competition. Or they're going to need their midfielders to really drop back and play well defensively. And I mean, Thomas is more of an offensive-oriented player. So it's going to be, it's still a long climb for them, though they definitely had some positive signs, even as crappy as last year was. I think... I still think the 2020 season felt more like rock bottom than the 2021 season did. You know, Even David, though they didn't get the spoon. Yeah. David Noble getting his first win in Tasmania was pretty awesome. Their successes, at least their highs, seem to be higher than in 2020, even for the lack of overall success. I think that's fair to say. And then in terms of list, of course, we wish the best to Ben Cunnington as he continues his recovery from testicular cancer. When it comes to North Melbourne's fixtures, their doubles are Adelaide, Geelong, Gold Coast, Hawthorne, and Sydney. So two final teams out of the five. That's relatively soft, I would say, compared to some of the others we've looked at so far. Their travel schedule is certainly not as friendly, though. I mean, rounds three and four, they go back to back to the Gabba and Sydney. 
And you get to follow that up by playing the Bulldogs and Cats, the Cats being one of their Tasmania matches. Other than that, looking through, they've got the Darwin match against the Suns, I believe. Yeah, that is uh... round 12. So that would be, I'm not sure if that would still be part of the Doug Nichols rounds. I think Sir Doug Nichols is rounds 10 and 11. Looking at their other Tasmania fixtures, now like you mentioned that they have four against Geelong for Anzac weekend. You got both the Kangaroos and Hawks in Tasmania for that, as has become the norm. Then also round nine against Port, round 15 against Adelaide, and round 19 versus Hawthorne. They like putting, you know, both those Tasmanian teams together for a tilt on the island. So they'll be playing each other at the G round one, and they'll be playing each other in Tasmania round 19. Now, the middle of their schedule does actually look pretty friendly. You've got the Saints technically in a way match, but, you know, they'd be playing them with Marvel either way most of the time, round 11. Then they go out to Darwin round 12. Then they host the Giants at Marvel round 13. Then they've got the bye. And then they host the Crows in Tasmania before toughens up again with the Cats, Pies, and Tigers. But... There's some stretches there in the middle of the season, as daunting as the first few weeks are, especially that round three through six stretch. I think that stretch from rounds 11 through 15 is enough that could help them at least have the record look better and move them up at least a few spots from last year. While that's obviously still a long build, I think they're starting to have a sense of direction again instead of just being completely dysfunctional. So there's there's promise. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. It's a long tunnel. It's a faint light. But there's a sense of direction, and that's better than we could have said about them just a couple years ago. We're about to hit the halfway point with the ninth club. And jumping back into finals teams, it's one of the most intriguing ones to be just because of how they kind of like Port, haven't been able to get it done when it matters. You can probably tell who it is by that description, Ethan. I assume we're talking about the Cats now, aren't we? Now it's the Lions, actually, but I guess you could make a case for the Cats, too. But the Lions are the one that stand out to me because, yes, they did make the preliminary final in 2020. However, the last three years, their finals record one and four straight sets 2019 and 21. It's kind of current Toronto Maple Leafs like to make another hockey comparison and their injury list and you know the potential returns make them a really interesting team to look out for on many fronts this season obviously having cam rayner back will certainly help nice to see him that was an upsetting injury he's such a fun energizing young player you'll have a healthy locky neal keaton coleman is expected to miss eight to ten weeks but i think that's something that they can withstand much more than missing someone like a rayner or neal eric hip would expect to return mid to late season. This is a team that even without those guys still has a whole lot of talent up front. I mean, when you've got Charlie Cameron and Joe Danaher up front, you're already in pretty good shape. The injury bug definitely, the ligament bug at least, definitely hit the other Queensland squad this year. And that uh, rejuvenation of an important forward piece in Rainer is just is going to be really fun. They've praised the way that he's recovered and I'm looking forward to seeing what he does, you know, starting with round one when they are at home against Port. That's a fun round one. Other additions, they have a mature age VFL recruit. Mitch Cox was making some waves. And then uh, a player who you're a bit more familiar with, Darcy Fort, comes over in a trade from the Cats. 
I see another former cat listed as a potential interchange player for round one who boasts one of the best names in the competition and some of the best hair, Nakia Cockatoo. Would be exciting to finally actually get to see him out there pretty regularly. He's been a guy who's always had promise and just has never really gotten the opportunity. So he's someone that I am genuinely excited for, and he's someone that the fans will certainly warm up to. I think if there's any concern with this team, they're a little bit thin defensively. I like Daniel Rich. I like Harris Andrews. Brandon Starcevich has been all right, but I think there are definitely some questions there, some unproven guys that are going to have to prove themselves pretty quickly, especially with the sort of guys that Port will bring up front in round one without turning this into our round one preview. Yeah, it's probably going to be a bit of a culture shock to some of you to hear us say Starcevich with actually pronouncing the R's like we do in the United States. Another one who's definitely making progress on the midfield and may soften the blow in terms of Eric Hipwood being out. Zach Bailey has steadily improved in four campaigns. Of course, had a big moment early last season with his after the siren winner at Marvel against Collingwood. But he's definitely someone who's going to be a big role player in that first half, if not longer. I think they're loaded up front. You assume McInerney would take most of the rock duties, though Darcy Ford is listed as a rock as well. Hell, Joe could fill in even sometimes. I remember he did that a couple times. Yeah, I mean, he's got the body for it, certainly. Looking at the schedule, who do the Lions face twice? They face the Bombers, the Suns, the Giants, the Ds, and the Saints twice. So, three finals opponents that they face twice, but only one from the top four. Look in the fixture, it, they jump into it right away. You know, Port Adelaide, Essendon, and Geelong in the first four weeks. Round four at the Cattery, that's going to be... Friday night footy, that should be awfully exciting. They had that last year. Hopefully this time they don't tell anyone who flew in from Queens, like, you have to go leave and get tested. I'm just intrigued always when Brisbane goes there because I think it's the biggest difference between the length of the grounds. Or or actually, it might be the SCG that's even shorter than the Gabba, but obviously it's, you know, a big change for anyone to be going over to Cardinia Park with how long it is. I believe it's joined longest and then by far the narrowest. But we're still talking about the Lions here. And yeah, those two from the bottom four that they're playing twice are teams that are definitely on the cusp of, you know, not coming back. That middle third is going to be packed. And when push comes to shove, prospects may not be the greatest for the Bombers and the Giants. For the Lions, looking at their schedule, doesn't seem to be anything too insane from a back-to-back travel standpoint. They've got pretty healthy mix of home and away. You know, they do have back-to-back road matches with the Suns and Swans, but the Suns is one that they'll be just driving to. Hopefully they won't have crazy bus traffic like they had in one of their matchups last year. I think that was in a derby. I remember there was a game that was pushed back like 45 minutes because of traffic between, I forget who was involved in it, but I remember it was Significant enough that it changed the start time of the match. It wasn't just that fans had to show up late. Um, Their only sort of unconventional destination is round 18 in Canberra, which isn't that odd. It was a Friday nighter between Richmond and Brisbane, I believe. That's what it was. Thank you. It was a Friday nighter on the Gold Coast in round 18. That was moved from the G to the Gold Coast on a day's notice after a snap lockdown in Victoria. And I believe that was Jack Revolt's 300th, which makes it even sadder that only just over 4,000 people could get there. 
But looking at Brisbane's fixtures, post by they are at Melbourne and then they're home for two. But those are the dogs and the bombers. And then it's that trip to Canberra against the Giants. And the Giants are a team that could be up, could be down. I think they're going to be down, but who knows? I don't think there's any stretch that really has, you know, three, four straight tough games in a row, but they have a couple stretches where, you know, three out of four are difficult and then that could serve as a trap game, such as hosting North in week three. Even There are definitely a lot of trap game opportunities there, but there's no, you know, four straight weeks, pure gauntlet type situation. Hopefully they're not going to have to manage loads that early against North. Um, no, definitely a potential trap game spot. You know, uh, to borrow the term from a college football podcast, solid verbal, uh, let down look ahead spot. All right, plot twist. We are really bad at figuring out how long these episodes are going to be. So this team by team preview is going to be another double episode. We've tackled nine clubs thus far, and we'll tackle the other nine in our fourth episode. To get those to you in time for our round one preview to also come out a couple days ahead of the Wednesday night opener. As always, you can find us on Twitter at Americans Footy. You can find me at Castle Media, K-A-S-S-E-L Media. Don't forget that's a K. And you can find Brian Harambe on Instagram at Cat Named Brian. I am at BenjaminHK01 on Twitter. We are Benjamin and Ethan Castle. This has been Americans Watching the Footy. We look forward to coming to you again very soon. And we look forward to coming up with a more original sort of sign-off line. It's, it's still a work in progress. We're kind to do with this.